Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman and obviously a little bit different than it has been in the past. I'm sat in the studios of Tameside Radio and the guests that I'll have on the podcast today will be out and about in their own homes um, or other places of work or wherever. But certainly we're keeping a very safe distance and we won't have the normal interaction where everybody can talk across each other. Thanks very much as ever to charleslouis.co.uk who are charged mortgage advisors who are the sponsors of the podcast and uh, I really appreciate their support of course particularly at times like this when we're all finding it difficult in the business world and in our private lives as we socially isolate and keep our distances quite sensibly. And obviously this is a football podcast, a Manchester City football podcast, and uh, so therefore we're going to talk about football, but it goes without saying that uh, at these times when uh, the world is is in completely unprecedented times, that our thoughts and and everybody who contributes to this podcast, I'm sure will echo this, uh, are with you and your families and, and us and our families uh, through throughout this. And none of us know what's going to happen entirely in the future where we're going to come back with, with our private lives, with our business lives and with our football lives. But in a way, football almost becomes a, a little bit secondary at the moment. But football is the thing that connects us together on this football podcast. So we are going to talk a little bit about football. And the contributors to today's podcast, I'll probably ask them similar questions, actually. So it might sound to a point repetitive. I hope it doesn't. Um, But the first of the cast who's going to join me uh, on the podcast today is Paul. Uh, Paul is a regular contributor, of course, um, to Forever Blue. And he joins us now. Hi, Paul. Hi, Irene. You okay, mate? Not bad. So, uh, obviously, um, let, let's get this out of the way. How are, how, are you, how are you and your family doing? Is everybody all right? And obviously, you're a businessman. Um, are, you, are you keeping active or are you in the same position that many people are and, and just know, not knowing what to do with yourself at the moment? It's, it's difficult, to be honest with you. Obviously, it's unprecedented times. Um, but family's fine. Everybody's cool on that side. Um I think I might have had the virus itself um, when, when I came back from Madrid, to be honest. But, you know, we, we went on that Madrid trip, didn't we, together? It's funny, you know, you should say that, because when I came back, yes, you and I travel with John and Barrier, the four of us went together. And I, I must admit, I didn't feel particularly great when I got back. And, and I don't know if you remember, but I had a sore throat or a yeah. throat problem on the, on the podcast. And now I look back on it. You know, I do, I do it, it does, especially because we've seen what's happened in Madrid, it does make me wonder. So you had some symptoms well, as well. Be quiet. Yeah, no, I, I, exactly. No, I, I, I'm I, finding it difficult to sort of like comprehend everything what's gone on. Um, but I think, I, I think we're going to get through it. I think we will get through it. Um, you asked the question, I mean, business-wise, that, again, that's very odd. Um, I've been classed as a key worker, so I'm keeping my garage open to, you know, to look after key workers' cars and things like that. Oh, good for you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, but I, well, yeah, but it's it's kind of difficult because we're, I'm kind of waiting for these cars to come in, which they are doing. But in the meantime, my bread and butter stuff's not coming through because they took the MOTs away from me. So it's it's it's, it's odd, but we're, we're bearing up. We're bearing up. Well, obviously, we're all in it together. We're all part of a city family, and football is the thing that connects us all together. And this week, there was a meeting of um, a various Premier League representatives, and there was a lot of pressure coming from politicians and from 
uh, fans yeah. uh, of all clubs, etc. That that there needs to be, um, you know, that there's the, the been a sort of concerted move to ask. Premier League footballers because they're perceived to earn these huge salaries and of course we know that a lot of them do to take pay cuts and, and etc and uh, it seems that there has been a, a deferral at least if not a permanent uh, reduction of the wages to by about 30% what, what have you made of the whole discussion uh, while football has been absent uh, or maybe even the lack of it from the, the authorities I'm, I'm on the, the the side of the footballers in a way because they pay massive taxes um i don't have an issue i don't have an issue with the footballers getting paid per se it's the fact that the the i mean liverpool i think announced today that they were furlough uh, in the um the, the members of the normal members of staff if we like um that that really annoys me because you know they they're paying the the massive amount of the footballers are not paying anything to the, the, the staff members. This is a multi-million pound industry and I think we're not coming out of it very well, to be honest. Have you caught without football? I mean, uh, I, I feel personally that we're a little bit of a, of a crossroads here where the, the perception of football generally uh, may have changed or be changing and it, it feels as if football's at a bit of a crossroads and if it makes the wrong move here... Um, it could lose could lose a lot of fans when it eventually returns. Am I being too dramatic, or what, what, what's the feeling you have on that? No, I think you're absolutely spot on, Ian. To be honest, I'm I'm feed, feeling from Twitter, and uh, the more I've just been looking on there, and there's a there's a big sort of building story that people aren't missing football. They're, they're missing it. But it's more the social side of things they're missing. It's more the going out with the friends and the, the, the you know having a drink and what have you. It's not the actual football itself. And is it is a building uprising, if you like, of people that are not are falling out of love with the game because of the way that the the, the, the clubs are doing things and the way they're coming across. And you know, you, with your wafer in the Champions League, trying to force things and they're trying to. All, 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 all they're talking about at the moment is, um, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to finish this, we've got to finish that. We're not really bothered, if I'm being honest. We're not really bothered when it finishes and who wins it. If they want to give it Liverpool, let them give it Liverpool. If they want to, you know, relegate teams, let them relegate them. You know, I'm, I'm in that, that group of, you know what, I'm not really bothered. I'm fighting to keep my business open and keep my family safe. Yeah, I mean, it sort of certainly puts into perspective the cost of football, doesn't it? Where, you know, when you're fighting to, to, to get enough money to be able to go out and queue up and stand two metres apart from everybody and, and get your essentials and, and, you know, and then you think, hang on a minute, if the football had been on today, I'd have spent X, you know, and, and I, I do genuinely think people are, are having serious thoughts about that. But then you wonder when this is all over, will people just forget all that and just... Just return to the way we were before. I'm hoping we don't. I'm hoping if if there's something good to come out of this um, uh, pandemic, that it might give us a bit more empathy. It might give us a bit more what it is to be human again. We've lost that. We've, you know, you, initially on on Twitter and social media, everything was still all going on about Brexit and hating Liverpool and doing this anyway. It all seems to be calming down a little bit, and we're all seeing we're starting to 
become human again and do do decent things for each other. And them stories are coming out. And whenever anybody brings out a bad sort of story, they're getting jumped on. And, I, and, I, and I'm hoping if there is something good to come out of this is that we might come out the other side of it with more empathy and more love for each other, I guess. I'm going to ask this question to everybody who contributes to today's podcast because it is something I I feel very strongly about, actually, which is the suggestion that when football comes back, I mean, none of this has been confirmed yet and it may not happen, but there have been suggestions of playing the Premier League to a conclusion in a tournament somewhere in China or in uh, uh, Aston Villa or on football club training grounds, but always uh, the idea being played behind closed doors. Now, I know there's a debate to be had about whether it's appropriate because of the demands on you know, the, the NHS or, or, and all that. But just in the principle of it, to me, bringing back football behind closed doors um, is soulless and is, is a kick in the teeth to the, to the ordinary supporters, of which I still class myself as one. Would, would you, do you think that if football did come back behind closed doors, that you would sit there and watch it on TV and think, well, at least it's an escape from what's going on in the world, or would you be, uh, and it's up to you, you may change, have a different opinion from me, but would you feel a little let down and angry and, and or whatever emotion you want to use, the fact that, that these games are being played behind closed doors and you're, you're no longer part of it as a match-going fan? Well, absolutely. I mean, um, if, you know, if they're going to finish the season, they need to just finish it now. Just close it. I, football's an entertainment business at the end of the day. I know there's loads of money involved in it, but at the end of it, football is an entertainment business. Would would Elton John play a concert in a big stadium with no staff and no fans listening to him? No, he wouldn't. Tennis is scrapped. Wimbledon's been scrapped. Everything's been scrapped. They could play that behind closed doors. But they're not going to do because they're sensible. They're just going to scrap what's happened and write it from the memory. You know, it'll be there because we're going to remember it. You know, for 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 the terrible pandemic it's been this season. But for the sake of everything, don't don't even play it out. Just 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 cancel it now. It's done and dusted. You know, if you want to say Liverpool won it, then let them say they won it. Just get on with just get on with it. More important things now. So your priority is just just forget it and and uh, resume when we can because City have made noises like that and and I'm very proud as a City fan to hear that that you know let's do the other things that you know this obviously made it the Etihad Stadium available to the NHS and also yep. the Excel Centre in London um, which I think if I'm not mistaken is owned by by the Sheikh or certainly is one of his business interests is now the Nightingale Hospital down there and those things make me me uh, very pleased and, and very proud and obviously seeing what Pep's done with his donation hopefully there'll be players behind the scenes doing that um, but the, the more, most important thing to me personally is let's get this all finished with even if it takes two weeks two months or a year or whatever nobody knows and then when everything's right again then to me you either then finish the season off or you just start fresh in a new season is that the way yeah. you want you wouldn't want this season to be concluded anyway would you not no I just the, the problem you've got is, again, it's, it's UEFA and they're trying to, because it's the Euros, I know they've, they've knocked that on a season, but they're trying to squeeze it because the World Cup's coming up. So everything's going to sort of like be cut short or trimmed or 
you know, we're going to have like a break of a few weeks and the season will start again. All to shoe on everything in for the World Cup. Something's got to give. So, you know, if, if, they, if they say throughout the whole footballing world, last season didn't exist, for scrap, scrap it, then it'll make it easier to shoe on those things in from a UEFA point of view. From a fan's point of view, I'd like to see the season kick on again and finish and finish as it should be. Once the players have, have recovered and got fit again, but it, it's, it's kick-starting a season halfway through after you've had a rest. It's not going to be the same. You might as well just say it didn't happen. Paul, thanks very much for your contribution. Keep safe, you and your family. And you as well, Ian. Thank you, mate. So that was Paul. Um, and we're going to talk to a couple more members of the Forever Blue podcast in just a few moments. But uh, right now, I'm going to be joined by a former City player, Nader Manua, who uh, is out in the States, actually, uh, playing, well, not playing, of course, at the moment, but uh, with Real Salt Lake um, and obviously not playing as well at the moment. What's it like not being able to play, Nader? And welcome along to the Forever Blue podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, these are very, very strange times, but, you know, they're strange times for everybody. And for me, maybe because I'm a bit older, a bit more of a family man, I think, I think I'm coping okay. But I think some of the younger guys are really struggling because the football is their whole, whole life. So, yeah, I, think, I, feel, I feel for some of those. But for now, I'm, I'm doing okay. What's it like out in the States? Because obviously we, we live in our bubble. Well, it's not a bubble. I know there's, there's world media and everything, but we live in, in Great Britain. Is it any different? Do you talk to people back in, in England and get different information or is it just as frightening out in the States? It, no, it's, it, it, the, the virus remains the same, but it's just every state has a different response to it. So they're telling people to stay home and so on, but there are other places where they're demanding that you don't leave your house. But where we are... You are allowed to leave your house. It's not like back home where you only need to, you're only allowed to go once for exercise or for food or whatever. It's a bit more relaxed than that right now. So, you know, we're grateful to be here because like uh, the supermarkets are full. You know, you've got the outdoor space. You've got a lot of restaurants who are doing cur- like curbside pickup and all that stuff. So, yeah, so we're lucky. But one thing that's different in terms of just from a playing perspective is that with um, with the MLS over here, it's like a single entity thing. So the league have total control over all the teams and the players, whereas back home, it's more about the team's approach towards the players. So if the league takes us today and say everyone's going to have to go and ha- jump on their right leg for an hour and put it on video, that's what everyone would have to do. Like, it's the same way that a lot of players, wherever they're playing now, they're being told that they can't leave the state. Even if their other state, if, even if their home could be a state across, they're not allowed to go. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, Whereas a lot of people have said in this country that there's been a, a bit of a lack of leadership because there's, I'm sure you're aware of the the 30% cut that players have have deferred. Um, but there's been a yeah. lot of de- debate here about what the right thing and the wrong thing is to do. And it feels as if individual clubs and even to some extent individual players are making their own decision. Uh, you're saying that in the States yeah. it's, it's more coordinated. Would you welcome um, you know, a more uh, led-from-the-top sort of reaction to what's going on? Um, not necessarily, not necessarily. I think the MLS model is one which exists for their other sports, which is why they try and do it for football. But in this type of moment, yeah, it works to a certain extent. 
But it all depends about the intent from the leaders at the top because they could be very strong with a message or they could be weak with a message, but everyone has to follow along when ultimately. Like, say, for example, if a player has a relationship with their manager, with their director, and they're pleading, say, for example, I think, is Edison in Brazil at the minute? I think he is, is yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's in Brazil because he would have spoken to the club. The club would have told him about the situation. They would have recommended that he can go back to Brazil. Like, that's great. But over here, they treat everybody like you're an American. So they say there's no international travel. Even though they have flights which are available to go to most places in the world, flights to other states around the world, they basically say, well, no, you have to stay here. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. And it's more, con- it's more, it's more over the top in terms of controlling. Don't get me wrong. This is the way that this system works. But when you relate it to football, it just seems a little bit strange. So at times it has its plus points, but then other times it's like Adidas sponsored the league, so every player's got to wear Adidas boots. You know that doesn't. You know that's an example of the single entity thing. Entity thing again. So it's yeah, it's uh, strange. It's strange at times, to be honest. I know this is an impossible question to to answer, but how do you think this is all going to end? I mean, perhaps the thing you can give an opinion on is whether some of the suggestions are that games will be played behind closed doors in some leagues. Uh, we've seen in Belgium, for example, that they've just declared the, the season ended and uh, given the title to the, the team that was at the top. Um, some Obviously, now we've suspended the games in this country indefinitely. UEFA is still insisting that the Champions League and Europa League will be concluded. How, how do you? How would you want it to to be ended, and how do you think it'll be ended? I think in an ideal world, you would want the team to be able to play out to the very end, and because, that's mainly because of how far along they've come. You know, in my league, we've only played two games, so the options are endless. Almost, you know, we can almost take our time because we've got till the end of December to try and figure out how to do it. But when the windows are tight in Europe, where the contracts end on thirtieth of June, stuff like that. It's hard, but then also I think at times as people who love sports and people involved in sports, you sort of assume that this is the most important thing, but it's not important at all. We can't. How can we talk about a season ending or when we're going to play this, when we're going to play that, when the everyday civilian doesn't have a clue when they'll be able to leave the house or when they'll be able to go back to work, you know? So it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard. You want to, as I say, you want to see things get concluded. I want to see... Where should finish? I want to see who. We want to Liverpool going to win the league. You want to see down there at the bottom fight through because you've, you've worked so hard to get to this point that you almost feel like you've earned something. But then it makes no difference if you've earned it. If ultimately everybody else in the nation can't have the same freedoms and luxuries that you have right now, if you're not allowed to be in a group of more than say ten people, how can you even begin to plan for a point where you'll have that when there's nobody telling you that point is going to come anytime soon? I mean, personally, um, you know that I'm a long-term obsessed football fan going going home and away, um, as well as being a journalist who's commentated, etc. And the thought of playing games to fulfil fixtures, even for television cameras, so that everybody can watch it, but behind closed doors is the last thing in the world that I would see as a solution to this. As a player... Would you rather play the games behind closed doors and conclude the season, or would you rather wait until everything, and I mean everything, can get back to normal, no matter how long that takes? See, that's such a such a tough point, just because of the timing of this of this uh, pandemic right now. You like you're so close towards the end of what is a calendar season, and the time limits are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And what happens if, say, for example, you're a 
the Premier League decide, right, the season is what it is, whatever position you're in now is where you're going to finish. Like, the bottom three will take the Premier League to court till the end of time to guarantee that they don't get relegated because in their mind, they'll feel like they're going to get out of it. You know, so you want to you want to somehow try and play the games before there's a deadline in terms of when the next season must begin. So I don't think you'd ever be able to get a unanimous decision on how to finish a season, which wouldn't involve, to some point, playing games behind closed doors if large things aren't allowed. Do you see what I'm saying? I suppose as a player anyway, it wouldn't be your... Whatever your thinking is, if the league tells you you've got to play... You've got to play behind closed doors, but I just, I just wondered if you had an opinion whether you'd be comfortable with playing behind closed doors if you had to. Yeah, well, it, you know, that that's essentially just playing friendly games behind closed doors and stuff like that, and it's not, it's not ideal, but it'll be competitive. It misses the atmosphere, but the games are the games, and there's a bit of me as well. Like, even though a fan, say, there could be City versus United getting played tomorrow. And you'll probably, if this is a uh, Old Trafford, you'd have 70,000 fans who'd be over the moon to be there. But you might have a few other million people who are happy to be watching the game on TV. So I think sometimes, you know, sort of playing a game behind closed doors, it fails those 70,000 fans. But then it also gives a few million other people something to actually watch. Because right now, I would watch anything on TV, I'll be honest with you. But even those watching on TV, surely, you know, a stadium with no atmosphere, um, it, it lacks soul. No, listen, if you're doing the commentary, yeah, it does like soul, I totally agree. But if you're doing the commentary and you're shouting, it sounds really exciting. You've just got to celebrate things like corners and throw-ins now instead of just goals and other consequences. I think you'll feel all right. <laughs> I wish I was still commentating, Nadem. I absolutely wish I was still commentating. I suspect that if games were played behind closed doors, that I would be just like everybody else, just watching on TV. And I'm not, it's not it's not what yeah. I'd want to do. Um so, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, you, you know, have you been in contact with with any of the current players? Is it something you discuss? Is everybody in the same position as you are of not knowing which way this is going to go? Yeah, everyone everyone's in the same position, whether it's footballers, other sportsmen, or just just normal people. You just you just don't know. This has never happened in the lifetimes of so many so many people, especially now at a point where. With things like social media, you have access to all the parts of the world to see exactly what's going on. Like, there's no hidden anything anymore. So whatever's happening somewhere, you think, well, maybe this this could happen for us. Like, I think Spain has started to level out the deaths, the death rate, or it's starting to slightly drop down. So maybe some people are thinking, well, you know, if that's happened to them, we're a week behind them. So maybe there's going to be change here, maybe there's going to be change there, and so on and so forth. But overall, nobody knows anything. And I think it's in some ways for me, I, find, I get frustrated when leagues and stuff try and put plans into place, even though they are sensitive, but when they try and put plans in place, because ultimately nobody knows. So if you say this, like who are you saying this for? Are you saying this for the players, for the fans? Because ultimately all you're going to do is let them down because nothing for this moment is guaranteed. Because these are, these are, these are the most uncharted waters we've probably experienced in our lifetime. Well, this is the final question, and, and I appreciate you giving me some of your time to, to talk to us here on Forever Blue, but I, I, I personally feel that football's at a bit of a crossroads at the moment, and I'm not sure which direction it has to go in. I don't believe I know all the answers, but if it makes the wrong move at the moment while people are in such fear of their financial futures for their families and everything like that, I, I worry that, that there may be a swathe of, of football fans that's the feeling I'm getting from talking to people 
who may even give up on the game. Is that something that's come to, through to you in the States where you are now and, and still as an active player? Or is that not something that you're aware of or maybe I'm wrong on it and, and it's not something you'd be concerned about? It depends. How do you mean by give up the game? Like, what would they be doing instead? Well, because people at the moment are, are, are having their finances squeezed. I know I am, and, and other people have got no jobs, and there is this possibility of furlough and everything. But I've heard a lot of chatter among football fans saying, you know what, I, I was it was getting expensive, and, you know, I'm, is it really worth it anymore? You know, and I just wonder whether that's just the, the depression of the moment or whether when we come out the other side of this, there might even be, you know, a big, a big group of players that fans, I mean, sorry, that walk away from the game attending. I mean, um, I think you know those those are very good and very valid valid points. And it, I think it's too, I think it's quite hard to generally describe what so all those people are going to do because you know it's the biggest it's the biggest sport in the world, isn't it? Like this is worldwide, and a lot of the people who go to games. Some of them they'll spend they'd rather spend thirty pounds or whatever on a ticket than they would do for food for themselves for that night because that's an institution to them. So the game itself, I think, if people don't have money, yeah, they'll I think they'll stop coming. But I believe that things will get better and things will get close to what they were. Maybe not this year, but I think next year, just because I think the difference between this could be completely wrong, by the way, but the difference between this situation and other situations in the past, like the financial crisis and so on and so forth is more one whereby it's the government and people in power like that who are choosing to shut down the economy for the greater good, as opposed to the economy falling to pieces and as a consequence, people suffer because of it. So the, the steps which they're taking in now, this is why they're trying to give more money to small businesses, why they're trying to give more money to other businesses and so on and so forth. Like if they wanted to, they could literally open up everything tomorrow and have everything exactly as it was, give everyone back their jobs, but they know that from a health perspective, that isn't the thing to do. So when the health side of it is in a better position, I think they open things up and put it back to as close to how it was as possible because all those jobs which were needed before, at some point they'll be needed again if a business is still active and you had X amount of staff and this is the way that trade works. From when the government says green light, everything everything's a go, why would they not need those people anymore? Because all the services that were going on, they, they were deemed essential, otherwise it wouldn't have been in existence. You talk a lot of sense, Nadam, and I asked you some difficult questions there, so I appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, let's hope that uh, we come out of all this and, and you know there's still football there for us to watch. I'm sure there will. Um, it just feels a bit down at the moment, but thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Best speech to you. Well, that was Nader Manua joining us uh, live from America. Um, this is the Forever Blue uh, podcast, and uh, I'm back now to one of the regulars um, who joins us uh, from home, of course. Everybody is doing. Uh, it's Tony from Hot Click Marketing, uh, who's sponsored, of course, my, my vlogs. I'm very grateful for that. Um, I've got to start s straight away, Tony, by before we yep. ask you the contemporary questions as to how you're coping in the crisis, because people who listen regularly um, start to, to, to know us all and, and want to know. So how, how are you coping? Yeah, I'm getting there. I think uh, we're all in the same boat a little bit, aren't we? Um, frustration and uh, the unknown. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen going forward. So, yeah, we're coping. 
I know you've been involved with uh, with helping Food Bank, and I know you're a person who takes your civic duty very seriously. So I guess you've still been doing all that sort of stuff, have you? Yeah, it's not something I uh, like to shout about, but uh, definitely um, we're needed now more than ever, and busier now more than ever at the Food Bank, unfortunately. Well, keep up the good work, mate. Um, really appreciate what you do. Um, now, on to football matters, which seem uh, almost inconsequential by compared to what's going on in the world. I've just been speaking to Nader Manure, who's looking at it from a, a player's perspective, and he gave the, me the impression from his answer that, um, you know, if needs be, playing behind closed doors, which is something that I'm asking all the contributors to Forever Blue today about uh, he, he would be happy to do that and see it as a way maybe of giving people a bit of a lift you know watching the games mm. on TV how, how do you feel about that? No um, in short no um, for me football is about the fans and with no fans it's not football um, I think for I was surprised that Needham said that because I think for a lot of football players you know the crowd the atmosphere and everything else is all part of it you know, we see that the press uh, like to make a big thing about atmosphere and it does make a difference. We know that. Um, so definitely I don't like the idea of playing behind closed doors. And I think throughout this uh, whole situation at the moment, I don't think football has covered itself in any glory at all. I think it's come to the front in terms of it's all about the money and the TV rights rather than anything to do with the fans or welfare. I mean, obviously, you're not the only one who's, who's said that. Um, I, I expressed to Nadim that there might be a... Uh, I get the feeling, now whether they carry this through or not, I don't know, that there are a group of fans who are sort of look navel-gazing, if you like that expression, navel-gazing at the moment and thinking, you know what, I thought I'd miss football more. There are another group, of course, who are going, I can't cope without it. So, again, there's a sort of split, but there's definitely a growing feeling that there are a number of fans out there who... who when football returns, whenever that might be, um, that they maybe have look, looking at it in a, in a different light. It sounds like you might be one of those. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, I miss football. Um, I miss City. I miss going to the games. But at the same time, I think, if anything, this has just shown football and the powers that be for what they are. Um, and it's all about, you know, the bottom dollar for them lot. Um, they're not considering fan welfare because if you play a game behind closed doors, and to get rid of this three o'clock um, embargo that they have, that you can't show three o'clock games, then still you've not just got the 11 players on the pitch. You've got the TV camera crew, the pundits, etc. So it's not just about the 11 players or the 22 players on the pitch. It's everybody else. And obviously they've all got to social distance. And it just, I'm not sure how it can proceed with the, what, about 100 people, even without fans there that are needed on a match day. So... I just can't see realistically how it can happen. And I think that it's all about finishing the season simply because they don't want to lose the revenue from the season. So I'm making you president now, um, whether you're the president of FIFA, UEFA or, mm. or the world. Um, what, what would you do then? What, what would be your next move as, as leader? I'm talking about of the football world here. What would you be your next step in the football <laughs> say, world? How long do you want this podcast to be if it's not just about football? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, if it, was, if it was down to me, I would just null and void this season and start again when we can. And that's nothing because we're not, you know, it's nothing to do with Liverpool or anything like that because personally, I'd come to accept the fact that they'd won it. So I wasn't bothered. I'm not saying cancel it because I don't want them to win it personally. I thought, you know, they've won it and that's it. 
Um, I think it's very unlucky for them, but I just don't see how you can continue it and justify it as a fair competition because even if, for example, they said next week, right, we're going to do it in three weeks' time or whenever, the players have still got to have a little pre-season and it's just completely disrupted the whole season. Well, what about the t- what about I mean you, you know you've you've mentioned Liverpool and I understand that we're City fans so that's the one that mm-hmm. we focus on thankfully these days. What about the battle at the bottom? What about all that money exactly. that involves promotion and relegation? That's actually a bigger issue in a way, isn't it? Definitely, because there's about five teams that could go down if the season was to play on because it's it's quite tight down there. And I don't think you can. This is why I say it's got to be null and void because you can't crown champions without deciding who's getting relegated and who's coming up. Um, because obviously for the clubs in the championship, for them, it's big money to get into the Premier League, even if they're going straight back down because of the parachute payments. So some of them you know, would be looking at that money and banking on it for the next season, clubs like Leeds and that side of it. So, And this is why I think this season, unfortunately for a lot of fans, will just have to go down as once in a lifetime, null and void and carry on when we can do. I think there's more important things at the moment in terms of people's health and life, etc., than there is uh, about crowning or relegating people. Should football be doing more? I mean, it feels as if this 30% deferral of uh, players' wages has come around because of pressure um, from the public and then from the politicians. Would you have wanted more or has it been unfair to single out footballers for that? 100% I think it's been unfair. I think a lot of the blame lies at the owners of the clubs and not the players. Because whilst the players are millionaires and, you know, they are on good wages, and I do think it's right that they should be helping out. Um, Even before all this pressure, footballers were doing stuff that weren't necessarily in the press. So if I look across to the swamp, uh, Marcus Ratchford had uh, raised over £160,000 to feed nearly 600,000 kids in Manchester during this crisis and that was before any of this came out so footballers in general do their bit um, and I think that it's the owners that need to step up really because we look at Tottenham for example who's furloughed their staff now they're relying on government money to pay their staff yet Levy who's uh, chairman there he's actually taken 7 million wages uh, from last season well 4 million and then 3 million bonus he paid himself uh, on top of that, they announced a £174 million profit, and yet they go into the government and the taxpayer to get some money, whereas the club could easily cover that with the profits from last season. Never mind their actual owner is uh, registered in uh, you know, Cayman Islands, etc., and dodgy taxes to begin with. And I think if we're going to start pointing the fingers at the footballers, we need to start pointing the fingers at the billionaire owners. Um, and not just in the football world, in the business world as well. You know, you've got the likes of Richard Branson, who's furloughing his staff. He's got an own bloody island and worth over four and a half billion. So he quite easily could have afforded to pay his staff out of his own pocket and still have, you know, over four billion left. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, obviously, we're City fans then. I mean, have you got a view on the way City are handling it? Um, yeah, I think for me, I like what the club have come to show to do, but at the same time, I'm a bit disappointed in how slow um, they have been to do things. And I think that they still could have done more. You know, um, only a couple of days ago, they were still taking season uh, ticket payments and out of direct debit when there's no football going on. And, you know, with a lot of 
fans on the breadline at the moment, that money would have gone a long way. So I think the club could have done a little bit more. I know they donated 100,000 to the food banks in Greater Manchester, joint with Manchester United, but I think overall they could have done a lot more a lot quicker, um, especially for the match day staff who had to, you know, kind of constantly beg um, to get the wages and be told that they were going to get paid. It was pressure that made them do it. So I was a little disappointed because I like to think that over the years, City have um, been one with the community and all the work that they've done, City in the community, and that arm of the club has been fantastic. Um, but I think in terms of the board that are making the decisions, they need to, well, act a little bit quicker and uh, in the fans' interest rather than... Uh, in what's interesting in them and you know and I think UEFA have shown themselves what they are as well. On the positive side uh, and thanks uh, partly to your help of course as Hot Click Marketing and I value your support uh, very very highly um, I've been producing match day vlogs uh, the last two have been looking back at the 93-20 uh, moment and, uh, and and getting people from around the world actually to tell the story of that through through my vlog and then uh, this weekend I've put up a vlog looking back at the 98-99 season and the, the ultimate playoff final next week I'm asking yep. people to contribute their, their favourite goals um do you think there's i mean I, I don't again i don't don't mean this for you to give me false praise so say what you think but is there a place for that type of thing at the moment because i i feel sometimes a bit uncomfortable doing it because i'm thinking well is this the right thing is is this where people are is this the mood or is it, it does it feel like the right thing to do to you to to have these escapes from from what's going on and by remembering the past and City's great past. Oh, definitely. I think for me, it's a little bit of escapism. You know, you've got those kind of 10-minute uh, videos that you can watch. And also, back with, well, rose-tinted glasses, so to speak, at what football was before it's become, you know, before the millennia, where the money just got thrown into it and the billions and the millions were knocking about. I think if we look back, it was, well, I like to look at it quite nostalgically in that sense. So I've been really enjoying them. Um, but, you know, I'm someone that does like to look back at old, you know, the 92 review, season reviews and things like that. What's your favourite goal then that you've seen in the stadium? Um, more recently, it's got to be the Vinny one, Leicester. Yeah, I think a lot of people Only go because, for that, won't they? <laughs> well, that is more recent. And as I say, it's mainly because of um, who I was at the game with as well. Um, and that kind of... Um, it was a good game to be at, really. Um, and also, because it was the pure surprise, um, you know, I didn't expect it. I <laughs> I was with Aguero of Don't Shoot, and, uh, yeah, I was not expecting it. If I stretch my memory a little further back, I'd probably say King Cladzi in, oh, when was it? I think it was 96 it's against Southampton. Yeah. yeah, that would be historically... Um, Pre-takeover, my favourite goal, but post-takeover, it's definitely got to be Vinny's. Well, that, that King Kladzi goal, obviously, it was at Main Road. Uh, it was at the Platte Lane end of the ground. And yeah. uh, and I remember when the half-time whistle went, the goal was scored in the first half, going down onto what we'd now call the concourses, but, you know, the whatever you called them in those days, you know, behind down the steps behind the main stand, which is where I was. And uh, I've never seen so many people crowded round the TV waiting for the replay of the goal to come up. Um, it, it was just an amazing reaction that day. Uh, I do hope somebody, maybe it's you that should do me a video 
Um, obviously, film it in landscape and send it to me, and you can be part of the vlog next week. But th you're right; that that was a goal that um, will always live with me. It was a fantastic goal. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you saw that documentary about George Best on TV the other day, and he scored a goal no, in, in the MLS, um, and and he wriggled around a few players. And I thought, yeah, but those defenders uh, didn't didn't want to know. King Cladsey had to yeah. beat defenders to score that goal. It was just an amazing goal. So thanks for reminding me. And we're talking old me. school defenders. We're talking old school defenders here. You know the big six footers, and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it's not kind of the the young defenders that are more tactical. It was the rough and tumble back then. So definitely for me, I've seen a lot of goals, and a lot of them I've forgotten. But there's only a few goals that I'll go. That's the one that sticks in my memory. Yeah, well, it was a great goal. Tony, thanks very much for joining us on the, on the podcast tonight. Keep safe, keep in contact, and no doubt I'll speak to you again soon. Don't forget, send that video in, Landscape, and uh, we'll get you in the vlog next week. Uh, take care, Ian. Cheers, Tony. All the best. Bye. Well, from one regular contributor to Forever Blue in Tony, we go to another, uh, and that is Emily, a voice who you'll recognise. A regular contributor to the the vlog. I hope you saw the vlog of the '99 playoff season and final. And uh, Emily, as ever, was a star of that. Thanks for joining us, uh, Emily. Um, as with uh, all the other contributors to the vlog so far, I have to start by not have to, but I want to start by asking you how you and your family are coping with the isolation and and all the restrictions that are upon us at the moment. Are you all right? Yeah, um, we're actually coping really well at the moment. Um, I've obviously got two young children, so I've got a five-year-old and I've got a three-year-old. And I'm kind of just planning it day by day around them. So they are a wonderful distraction for me. I've been limiting my news intake. Um, I don't really look at much of what's going on in the media. Not to say that I'm naive or I kind of turn a blind eye to it, because I do keep up to date with it. But... I don't like to really dwell on it because it can really affect my mental health if I do that. So pouring all my efforts into my children, planning fun activities for them every day is really what's keeping me going. And I see a lot of parents kind of moaning and going, oh, we're climbing the walls. But we're actually getting through it really well because we're actually really enjoying just being together as cheesy as it sounds, but it's true. Well, I know you're a very family-orientated person and uh, looking after your mental health at this stage, all of us, um, you know, is very, very important. Uh, how does football fit into that then? I mean, is that something you've forgotten about? Are you, are you keeping tabs with, albeit there's not a lot of news coming out at the moment, but have you been keeping up to, to date with that? Are you missing it? Is, it? is it, you know, are you changing your opinion about it or are you just, is, it, is everything just on pause from your perspective? I miss. The thing I miss the most is, are the people who surround football for me, so my friends, but I see a lot of them and interact with them a lot on the social media channels, you know, like on Instagram and Twitter, and I, I am I am missing the football, I won't lie, but it just feels like there's so much more going on right now in the world that when I do see reports coming out about them, the Premier League trying to really push forward with com completing the season, it doesn't really sit that well with me. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that. And, and I know you say you've took a backward step and, and have tried to shield you, yourself and your family for understandable reasons from too much exposure to negativity at the moment. But I know you also are a thinker about about football and I know how much it, it matters to you, just like it matters to me. And I have asked Nadam and, and uh, Paul and... 
uh, and Tony, you know, about the sort of philosophical questions. And I, I have definitely noticed a, a, a group of people who are saying they're looking at football very differently now and not sure it'll be the same when it comes back. Um, is that something that, that has occurred to you? Or do you think once football comes back, whenever it is, everybody will forget all this this trauma and anxiety and just be so grateful that it's back that we'll all want to go even more? Um, I think it's been the same for a while now where I have realised that football is a business and money talks and money rules all. We see that a lot and we've seen that previously with you know, ticketing price, the ticket prices and things like that, the, the way that they kind of treat fans when it comes to scheduling games and moving games at the drop of a hat because money talks with the TV revenue, of course. But it just, it hasn't sat well with me in the, re, the recent weeks where you look at other sports and the way that they're handling it, like Wimbledon being cancelled, the Grand National being cancelled, all kind of major sporting events have just been shelved because people are looking at the bigger picture here. But then you're looking at the Premier League, who seem absolutely hell-bent on completing the season, no matter what, thinking out, dreaming up these ideas about isolation camps. Well, for me, it goes against everything that the government are telling the public to do. The public are telling us to stay indoors, stay safe and save lives. But then they're hell-bent on continuing the football season where there'll be so many different people having to be at football games, not just the players, of course, but all the, the staff behind the scenes that make everything tick and the, the TV people to broadcast it to, behind closed doors. It goes against everything that we're being told. It contradicts all the advice that we're being told and it endangers lives. So although they're talking a lot about the football integrity, what price for an integrity towards human life because that's where we're at right now. You know, talking about finishing it in China, where the virus started, it just beggars belief. And it's all to do with money. It's all to do with TV revenue and money. And it just stinks. But if, if, uh, and I have a view, which which I've expressed earlier in the, uh, the recording this podcast, but you haven't heard because you're not here. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, there is another side to this argument, which if the football came back and it was on TV and it was played to a conclusion, that it would lift the spirits of the nation, you know, that we, we could watch football again, gather around the TV, because at the moment there is no sport on any channel, um, so we can't watch anything. I mean, there's talk of Tiger Woods playing Phil Mickelson in some sort of a challenge match, and I don't know whether everybody will gravitate towards that and think, thank goodness we've got some new live sport, or whether they're going to go, I'm not interested in that, uh, it's not for me. If football was suddenly back on the screens and there was a Premier League game every single night, albeit in China, at Aston Villa, in the training ground, behind closed doors, whatever it is, would that not lift everybody's spirits? Would you not be glued to that and delighted it was back? I mean, I love football, obviously. Football is my life and football has been that way for me since a little girl. You know that um, football makes me tick. But if that, ha if that happens and that goes ahead surely you're going to get fans leaving the house. You know, if if Liverpool win the title, are you telling me that every single Liverpool fan is going to stay indoors and celebrate in their own houses? Of course they're not. They're going to all group together, congregate in different places. And it's, that's not 
a detriment to Liverpool fans. It, it goes through the leagues and, you know, relegation battles. I think it, it poses a danger of people actually going outside and congregating even more. And I surely they've thought about that, but that would be the perspective I would take. I'd be thinking, well, it's a bit of a recipe for disaster. It's all well and good playing behind closed doors and expecting people to stay indoors to watch it. But if there are celebrations or commiserations to be had, it just makes me think that people might be leaving the house to actually be doing that. And that's where there is a real danger. Obviously, the points you make are very, very valid. And uh, I've got no argument with that. But the, just, just on the principle of would it in any way help you in your position of self-isolation and, and staying indoors quite correctly, as we all are doing, would it not lift your spirits and brighten your spirits that football was back if it was allowed and if all those safety issues were okay and obviously if it was played in China there wouldn't be any Liverpool fans um, walking down the street and going to that game though they may come out in the streets and celebrate so I completely take your point but would not the return of the action be a good thing for the spirits of the people? Football without fans for me is pretty much nothing so I think it would be soulless watching it played you know in empty stadiums and I mean yeah I love watching it but fans are just kind of they're coming last aren't they really we should be there we're not allowed to be there and it just seems like they're just pushing forward just for the sake of concluding it just for the money of it because obviously there's rumours of clubs getting sued and the TV revenue and the, the amount of money that's involved is absolutely colossal um, yeah, it would lift people's spirits, but it, people, you like, you want to be there, don't you? And it just seems so unfair that you can't be there. And no, I don't know. It's it's a bit of a funny one for me, really. It's not really sat right with me at all. The the, the priorities are skewed. Well, anybody that's been listening to me or the podcast will know that I actually am agreeing with what you're saying. It, it would be the wrong thing to do in my my opinion um whilst i can see the argument that it that it you know it means that the competition is fair although there's obviously a lot more to it like coming back after a long break getting fit again lack of atmosphere mm. in a stadium meaning it, you don't have home advantage anymore there's there's still a load of things that that relate to it you know can you imagine if city got to the cup final and it was played in china um, you know, and, and you were only able to watch it. And this was the FA Cup final mm. or the Champions League final. I'm absolutely against uh, any games, any games ever being behind closed doors. Um, that That is my personal view. And I, I have a view that football is about the social side of it. It's about being with people. And, he, and you know what? Even those fans who are listening to this, and I hope there are some um, who, who listen all over the world, and I know I get messages from all over the world, of fans who listen to the podcast, who watch Manchester City, who perhaps have never even attended a game. But surely even they don't want to watch a game with with no atmosphere, with no fans, no nobody reacting. And, and whilst the players might be just as motivated because they will be completely professional. I spoke to Nadam about this a little bit earlier on. To me, the whole spirit of football is about having a living, breathing crowd there, enjoying all the atmosphere and all the moments. And I, I think we agree on that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. But there's pressure coming from like the likes of UEFA where they're threatening apparently to take away European places if the English leagues null and void the season, which... For me, again, it's just 
wow, you know, that just shows where everybody is at with UEFA, but we're, we're going through that with UEFA right now anyway, so we're not complete strangers to the true colours of UEFA, if you like. Um, and also I read somewhere about player fitness now. Obviously, they'll be keeping on top of that as much as they can with home gyms and, you know, you might have huge gardens. We've seen Raheem Sterling on his Instagram with a garden that looks like it's a country park. Um but there's only so much they can do at home. And they've said that it normally takes a good couple of months to get up and build up to full match fitness again. So when they're talking about looking at maybe the end of June to start up again, does that mean start up again from the end of June, build match fitness from there, and then go into you know August, September time when the new season should be starting? Because it, it, then what happens with the new season? It just pushes back further and... It just seems like they're trying to fit it in for the sake of it when really we all know that money talks and money is what makes the football world go round, unfortunately. Everything else just kind of seems to come last. It's certainly a complex story that's uh, got a long way to go, yeah. It seems that um, the big picture of life generally is changing almost from day to day and it seems that sport is is also um, changing all the time and... and, uh, you know, obviously, I I hope that at the end of all this, that Manchester City uh, get back to winning ways and 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 being the club that we love, and we can all get together again. But uh, I do wonder what it's going to be like when we come out the other side of this. Um, just just finally uh, to 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 end this podcast on a on a more cheerful note. I talked to Tony before about you know his favourite goal because that's the the vlog that I'm going to do uh, next next week. The favourite. It doesn't have to be the best goal. I certainly don't want um, really goals. Um, just because they were like you know, I mean, if people want to say the Aguero goal, fine, no problem. But it might be a goal that has significance to you, you know, that that's different than than all the others. Have you got a have you got a favourite goal, uh, M, from all the things that you've seen? Yeah, of course, and it's got to be the company goal against Leicester, hasn't it, for me? Because you know that game on that on that Monday night. It was really, really tense and really nerve-wracking and we really needed the win. We knew we needed the win to... Because it was toe-to-toe with Liverpool. We'd get a win, they'd go and get a win. We'd get a win. And it was neck-and-neck constantly. It was like batting backwards and forwards. And nothing that night would break the deadlock. And I knew that it would take something special, but never in my wildest dreams would I have ever contemplated nor imagined seeing... Not only Vincent Company hit that, but any player score a goal like that in that circumstance. And I just remember seeing it from the south stand when it fell to him and everybody around was like, don't shoot. <laughs> and then the minute it left his foot, you knew, you just knew instinct, instinctively where it was going. You just knew it was like, like time stood still and it left his foot and then the stadium almost fell silent and it hit the net and then the roar and the eruption and the magic and the scenes and it was just wow and being there to have witnessed such a momentous goal on a momentous night because it was because for me that's the moment that sealed the uh, the league win that year even though we still had work to do you know we had to go to Brighton and but I think everybody knew at that point that we'd done it and what <laughs> what a goal it was it was just oh it was stunning even now I get goosebumps just thinking about it 
Well, you are biased because your son's called Vincent, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am. No, I, I am biased. Yeah, but would you have ever thought in a million years that he'd score a goal like that? Wow! Yeah, it was an amazing, it, amazing goal. He was just. He, he he scored a goal against United on the Monday night a few seasons before, obviously. You know, with the header, and he always seems to come up with really important goals when we need them. But to score a goal like of that caliber. Wow. Wow, indeed. Uh, Emily, thanks very much. Good health and keep safe to you and your family. Thanks very much uh, for being part of uh, tonight's uh, Forever Blue podcast. Um, That's it for this week. Thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, who are chartered mortgage advisors, who are still functioning and will function, I'm sure, after we're all uh, allowed to go back to our normal lives. They've supported uh, me through the the times when the, the times were better. Uh, and I hope you will support them if you're looking for a mortgage, you're looking for some mortgage advice by going on their website, ringing them when they're in business and and appreciating the fact that the, that they've helped me. Thanks very much to everybody who's contributed to the uh, Forever Blue podcast for this week. And uh, as I always say, it's great being a blue, isn't it? See you next time. <laughs>